I invite you to turn with me in your copy of the Scripture. We're going to be all over the place in the Bible today. Um, got some really good thought process on this subject that we alluded to last week, but want to continue our thought process on today, and that's the subject of forgiveness. The subject of forgiveness. This morning, we want to continue our thought process on this idea of forgiveness. And I found a fabulous story that talks about this, that maybe it's in an angle that maybe we haven't thought of before. The idea of David and Saul and the power of forgiveness from one to another. If anyone had the right to hold a grudge in this relationship, it would have been David. Saul at that time was king over Israel. And if you'll go back into 1 Samuel a little bit more, you'll see that Saul was anointed king, but he did things that God wasn't pleased with. And his heart grew hard against the Lord, and he, God removed him as the spiritual king and anointed David to be king, even though Saul still held the physical title of king. And so in the process of all of this, David comes comes forth, and, and he's anointed king, and in the process kills Goliath, which was an amazing story. I love that passage of Scripture. That's a whole sermon on itself. Kills Goliath, but in the process of that, Saul begins to have a jealous eye toward David, understanding that God is, is with him, and he sees God's anointing evident on his life. And so what ends up happening is Saul begins to be jealous, and he begins to hate David. As a matter of fact, he tried to kill him. He was hunting him down. As we get to 1 Samuel chapter 24, Saul is hunting David down like an animal, trying to kill him just for the simple reason of jealousy and insecurity. Saul was jealous of him. God was with him, and that was evident. And, and they would come out, and, and this, was, this just fed into it a little bit. They would come out and sing their songs. Woo! You know, goes, the songs would go something like this. Saul has killed his thousands. David is tens of thousands. I don't have the beat that the Bible didn't talk about beat. But being the person I am, I figured that would be a cool beat for that song. So I just adopted that. So there we go. Um, and in the process of that, they're saying, Saul will kill his thousands. David, his tens of thousands. And, and while Saul was probably, you know, there were a little compliment in there, he was more concerned about the fact that they were giving more glory and attention to David than to him. Insecurity and pride began to swell in his heart. And can I tell you, this is a perfect picture of what happens when we allow bitterness and pride to fuel our anger towards someone else. Saul began to think of ways to trap David, paths to pursue and to kill him in his intense rage. So if anyone has the right to be upset, if anyone has the right to be offended, man, it's David. He's done nothing wrong and now he's living like a fugitive. He's away from his family. He's living in caves. He's not sleeping in his own bed. He's moving from Philistine village to Philistine village out of his own country. And yet when faced with the opportunity for justification, the opportunity to end this and to get even, to go home and to quit running, what does he do? Well, there are two instances today that we're going to talk about, and then we're going to hit into some uh, 
what forgiveness looks like and what it's about. One of these passages is found in that scripture I had you look up, 1 Samuel 24. Reading in verse 1, After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. And David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off the, a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with this, these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father looks at this piece of your robe and in my hand. I cut it off the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word today. And I pray, God, that you would help us to learn. Some of us in this room today are dealing with this idea of bitterness and unforgiveness. It's, it's eating at us and and God, today, I, I pray that you would help us. Help us, God. Teach us, Lord. And God, I, I can almost guarantee that if we're not dealing with it today, at some point, at some place, the devil will see to it that this comes across our path. So help us, God, to learn. Open up our hearts, God, that we may learn from you today. In Jesus' name. And that means getting me out of the way, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Samuel 24, David sneaks in. Saul comes in to relieve himself. For those of you that need a little explanation, he had to go potty. Okay? Saul comes in to go potty, and David is in the back waiting. And as Saul is going potty, and I have my own thought process about what he was doing because it took a little time. Okay? Uh, because David's men is recognizing that Saul is there, and he says, Hey, listen, the Lord's delivered you into my hands. You heard the whole conversation? That I read, and David sneaks up behind him, cuts off his robe, and then comes back, and Saul then leaves the cave. So that all that whole process takes a little time. Anyway, in the process of that, David, in that minute, has an awesome opportunity to end this entire search party, this entire thing of killing me. I, I've got this idea, right? I can end this right now. But because of his heart that was conditioned to the Lord, he chooses not to. Because he says, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. That's for God to decide, not for me. If anybody had the right to be bitter, it was him. But he chose forgiveness. He chose to put, let Saul walk and to forgive and move forward. Saul comes out of the cave. The conversation commences. 
And the Bible says that Saul, in verse 22, it says, So David gave his oath to Saul, then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. It took Saul about one chapter to try this again. In chapter 26, you will read that Saul is bent on finding David. He finds that David is hiding on the hill of um, Hekonai and uh, and. He faces this particular area, and so Saul takes 3,000 of the best select troops that he has and to search for David, and he makes this camp on the side of the road, and in the meantime, David is in the wilderness, and he hears that Saul is having camp there. So in the middle of the night, Saul's asleep. And David sneaks into Saul's tent. Now, the guy that was with David says this. He says, listen, this is the moment. This is the time. Take the spear. It's right there beside. The spear is right by Saul's head. This is a God time. Let me just kind of, kind of preface this too. Uh, um, this is free, okay? This is not necessarily something with this. You got to listen. You got to be careful who you're allowing to speak into your life. Two instances here in verses chapter 24 and chapter 26, the men that David had surrounded himself with both times said, take his life and kill him. But that wasn't God's plan. Both times they referenced, this must be the day that the Lord told you to do. But David chose what was right, even though it might not have been right by what someone else said. You follow what I'm saying? David did what was right and what God wanted him to do. It was not for him to touch the Lord's anointed. Even though Saul had messed up, even though God had removed his hand from him as king, even though the Spirit of the Lord had left him, Saul was still king because God had placed him there. And if God placed him there, God would remove him from there. It wasn't David's duty to do that. And so be careful who you listen to. It could be the difference between having the blessings of God and living your life on the run. So David sneaks into his tent, the spears by his head. His friend says, will not you just run him through, right through the cranium, right through his ear, right there, that'll be it. David says, no, take the water jug, take the spear, and let's go. The next morning they're on top of the mountain, he shouts down to Saul, And finally Saul says, I have sinned, verse 21 of chapter 26. Come back, David, my son, because you consider my life precious today. I will not try to harm you again. Surely I have acted like a fool and have been terribly wrong. The natural thought would have been for David to kill him on both occasions, but there's something about David that is revealed to us today that I want us to talk about, and this is idea of forgiveness And this is something that's very real for us today when it deals with forgiveness. Number one is this. Forgiveness doesn't seek justification. Forgiveness doesn't keep justification, seek justification. In other words, keep score. Forgiveness doesn't keep score. I want you to turn with me in your copy of the scripture to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17.
You ever had those moments, and sometimes in your life you read something in Scripture and it hits you right where you're going through, and, and Jesus says something that's like, you're, you're, you shake your head and you go like, really, Jesus? This is one of those passages. Luke chapter 17, verse 1. It says, Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. Then he goes into this portion of of verse 3. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Really, Jesus? He's going to sin seven times in one day against me. He's going to do the same. That joker is going to do the same thing to me seven times in one day. And every time he comes back and says, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I've got to forgive him. Are you serious? Yeah. Why? Because forgiveness doesn't keep score. Because there's no justification in forgiveness. That's, isn't that the same type of mentality that David had with Saul? I'm not justified in what I do. Let me, our, our society finds a, this is hard to practice. It's hard for us to practice. We have a saying and it goes something like this, man, hurt me once, shame on you. Hurt me twice, shame on me. But that goes against everything against what the Scripture says right here, doesn't it? If my brother sins against me, if he does something wrong, if there's something that has happened and he comes to me and asks for forgiveness, even if it does it seven times in one day, I'm supposed to forgive. Because if I don't, if I don't, we're going to talk about that here in just a minute, if I don't. See, there's a heart issue at the, at the core of this. We forgive them, but treat them. Here's how we do it. We, someone hurts us. They ask for forgiveness. We forgive them, but then we tend to hold it against them. Like, oh, well, you see what that joker did? I trusted him no more. You see what that person did to me? And here's what we'll do. We'll say it to their face. I forgive you. But over here, we're talking about it. Ooh, oh, man, I know. This is hard, isn't it? Because over here, we're just like, oh man, you won't believe what happened to me. You won't believe what that person said or did to me. You won't believe what, the, what transpired. And do you believe that they had the, all, the audacity to come out and ask for me for forgiveness? And then they went out and did it again. And then they came to me and asked for forgiveness. Do you think I'm going to forgive them? And we start that. That's what we tend to do. But that's totally against a scriptural principle of what Jesus says to do. You know why we do that? Because we think it helps us see that think we're getting even. Oh. And when we think we're getting even, see, they hurt me, so what am I going to do? I'm going to go to these people. I'm going to tell them how bad they hurt me so that I can justify my pain with my gossip. Oh, it's awful quiet in here. So I can justify my pain with my gossip. And we don't realize the own damage that we're doing to our own heart in the middle of this. Because we won't allow ourselves to completely forgive and to let go. We tend to do it that way. Or sometimes we'll forgive somebody, but we'll treat them totally different. You know what I'm saying? You're at Taco Bell, 
And that person offended you. We said we forgave them. They come in, and what do you do, man? I'm, I'm like, if I cover my face, they won't see me. Right? You know what I'm saying? If I just hide my face, or if I go to the bathroom for a half an hour, they'll never find me. We treat them totally different. You know, I, I understand the defense mechanism that's in us that we don't want to be hurt. I understand that that happens sometimes whether you realize it or not. But I wonder this. I wonder whenever someone asks us to forgive them, do we have the mentality that says, I forgive you and we let it go? Or in the back of our minds and in our hearts we're saying, I forgive you, but we're praying, God, go get them. True forgiveness doesn't seek retaliation and it doesn't need retribution. The wonderful thing about the teaching of Christ and really throughout the Bible is the importance that God places on the attitudes of our heart. How important it is for us to have our hearts pure and right before God and before man. That is the thought of this passage of Scripture here in, in Luke chapter 17. It's, not, it's a warning to not keep score, but to make sure that your heart is right. It's a warning about the effects of what bitterness can do into your life. It can have a hold of your heart. And it's sad that bitterness is like, here's what we think of bitterness as. Here's what bitterness really does. Bitterness says that we're going to drink the poison hoping the other person dies. And the whole time is you're poisoning your heart. You're poisoning your life. Dale Carnegie said it this way. He said, wouldn't our enemies rub their hands with glee if they knew that our hate for them was exhausting us, making us tired and nervous? Ruining our good looks, giving us heart trouble, and shortening our lifespan. That's what stress, that's what unforgiveness, that's what bitterness does to us. There was a study about the causes of bitterness. They came up with five reasons. I'm going to briefly hit some of those today as we move through. Number one cause of bitterness was wrong motives or jealousy. We talked about that in our story today with with. Saul and David, there's this idea of jealousy that gripped the heart of, of Saul. And the frequent bitterness is associated, frequently bitterness is associated with jealousy. Jealous of other people's successes, of other people's accomplishments. We have wrong motives. We have jealous hearts. The next one is this. Wrong response to irritations. We have conditional love. You're like, well, what does that look like? That means as long as you're doing something good for me and you're not irritating me, I'm good with you. But the minute you start doing stuff that irritates me and the, the, the love thing, it's not, it's not necessarily replicated. It's just one of those things that, uh, you know, hey, as long as you're good with me and I'm good with you, we're good. But the minute that that gets irritated, man, we got issues. There's a Greek word here, and it, uh, the Greek word is it's found in Colossians 3.19. The Greek word is found pikroi, P-I-K-O-R-O-I. And it just means this. It means resentment or an intense anger and attitude of the mind. He uses it, Paul uses it in Colossians 3.19 when he's talking about husbands to love your wives and not be bitter toward them or harsh toward them. Did you know conditional love is also in friendships as well? As long as things are good, I'm your friend. Man, if you cause a rift or we have a disagreement, that friendship it usually ends. 
Third thing is this. We have a wrong uh, cause of bitterness, a wrong response to adversity. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says this, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root causes to cause trouble and defile many. It's not talking about bitter roots that you eat. It's talking about a condition of your heart. See, here's what bitterness does. Whenever I was, uh, we lived in Illinois and, and we had a tomato plant and we got no tomatoes out of it. You know why we didn't get tomatoes out of it? Because neither one of us weeded it. I'm just going to be real honest. We didn't weed it. We didn't take care of it. We've learned our lesson, right, honey? We've got tomatoes now, thank the Lord. But we never took care of it and we let the weeds grow. Well, one day, the weed, there was a weed in that thing that got to be about the size of a little tree. And it almost was like a little tree. And I went in there and I was pulling weeds because it looked bad. And I was just, you know, trying to get rid of all this stuff. Even pulled tomato plants, everything else, because it was just pointless. So I'm getting to this big tree-like looking weed. And I try to pull it. And I realize something. It's not going anywhere. So I thought, man, I'm going to pull this out. I'm going to really grab a hold of this thing and pull it. And I tried again, and it wasn't going anywhere. So I got my little axe out. I'll teach this thing a thing or two. And I tried to pull it again, and it didn't budge. Finally, I had to get the shovel out and dig what seemed to be like the china to get this crazy root out of the ground. And that taught me something about bitterness. It taught me this. If bitterness is like weeds, and if you get, them, get it early, it comes out pretty quick. And it comes out a little easier. And it comes out a little, it's not as much pain and effort and, and, and hardship in, in removing. But if you let those things grow, they start to entangle your heart and they start to entangle your life. And the more that you allow bitterness to grow, the harder it is to get it out, and the harder it is to, to move on from it. And what happens is that will begin to consume you and grow in you, and you will find yourself in a place of being a bitter person, angry, nothing satisfies you, you've lost your joy, you've lost your peace, you've lost your love. Why? Because you allowed that bitter root to continue to grow deep. And instead of getting it out early, you allowed it to happen. And what happened is this. It squeezed out your heart. It squeezed out the softness of your heart. Just like it squeezed out my tomato plant, it'll squeeze your heart. That's why the Bible says in this passage in Hebrews, don't let any bitter root grow up to cause trouble and defile many. Because the longer you allow those things to go, the deeper they run. And the more trouble they'll cause. The fourth one is this, misplaced strife. Churches, families, friendships are crippled when, and even destroyed over holding grudges for things that are symptoms and not the problem. The problem is the heart. Um, and there may be many things that uh, may be said or happened but we typically don't follow biblical teaching on how to confront somebody. We don't, we don't talk about how to deal with issues. We don't talk about, um, we don't, well, we talk about it, but we don't practice it. Let me just say that. We don't practice the idea if I have a problem with my brother, I need to go to my brother and talk to them about it. And then hopefully we, we get to an agreement and, and we work that out together so that bitterness can't get in my heart. 
But we don't like to do that. Instead, we just live in bitterness with these misplaced strife, targeting the wrong people when all the time, usually the problem needs to take place in we need to look in the mirror at ourselves about the issue. The final one is this. It's an unforgiving spirit. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 uh, says this, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And it wasn't just get rid of that stuff. It wasn't just get, get that out of your life. But there was a second part of that thought process too. And, and it goes alongside of this because you can't, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You, you cannot be compassionate and kind and forgiving to each other out of a pureness of your heart if you are allowing those things to continue to have root in bitterness. So those are the five causes of bitterness. The second point, as I mentioned, forgiveness doesn't seek justification. The second thought is this, and this is where we conclude today. It's reflect, forgiveness is a reflection of God's love and spiritual maturity. Forgiveness is a reflection of God's love and spiritual maturity. If you were to look at the heart and life of Saul and David, you would see a complete contrast difference. Saul was someone whose heart grew away from the Lord. He became selfish. He became prideful. He became someone who was self-seeking in all of his ways. David was a man who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. That doesn't mean he was perfect, but what it does mean is he showed kindness. He showed love. He had respect for the king, and he had honor for him even though he was treated poorly. He spared Saul's life twice. Why? I believe it was because of a relationship that he had with God. It showed God's love and his spiritual maturity. It was a true example of the love of God. If you look at a passage of Scripture, I'm going to invite you to go there. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. If you look with me in this, you'll find a couple things about God. First of all, 1 John 4, 8, it says that God is love. It's what He is. It's what He does. It's why He sent Jesus. It's why Jesus died on the cross for us. It is all about the very essence of God. God is love. But He also gives us some insight about what we should be like in this passage. Begin reading in John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we've loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Again, he says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we have 
will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, for perfect, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother, a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And anyone who he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. Powerful words of insight that speak truth. And maybe for some, it's a harsh reality because you have been holding up bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart against someone in your, that may be in your life. It may be a family member. It may be a church member. It may be anybody that you are holding this grudge that you have held it for a long, long time. Can I tell you, let the love of God begin to nurture your heart, begin to grow in your spiritual maturity, begin to allow God's love to do a complete overhaul inside of you because that is the only thing that will get the bitterness out is God's love. So what does love look like? Is there more to this definition of love? Well, if you go to 1 Corinthians 13, Paul talks about what love looks like and what it is. He says, love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it isn't proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it doesn't dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And here's one that we just talked about. It keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love. God's love. Spiritual maturity. Being able to get over and get through an offense. Jesus talked about how to deal with this, this thing. If, if someone is, has done something against you, if, if, man, you feel those roots of bitterness in your heart, he, get, he tells us what to do. Found in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 23 and 24. And it says this, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and they remember... And there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Some of you may have noticed that we didn't do fellowship time today. We purposefully held it off until now. And there's a reason for that, and that reason is because of this. Some of you in this room, we're getting ready to take communion here in just a moment. We're getting ready to allow God to, to thank the Lord for His salvation, to thank Him for what He's done. The Bible says when we come to this table, when we come to this uh, communion table, we should do so with a pure heart. We should do so without sin in our life. We're going to talk about that here in just a minute. Some of you may be in this room and, and you've allowed bitterness to take an ugly root inside of you. This idea of forgiveness has become something that's hard for you. You don't know what they've done, Pastor. You don't know how they treated me. You don't know the things they said. You don't know the things that happened. That's true, I don't. 
But there's one thing I do know. That as long as you hold on to it, it will stifle your spiritual growth. As long as you hold on to it, you'll never see the fulfillment of what God wants into your life because it's grabbing and shrinking your heart. And because your heart is shrinking, you are allowing it to become more and more something that consumes you. And the more you let it grow, the more consuming it will be. I know that they said awful things. I know that they treated you terrible. I know that it wasn't justified. But it's still in our, it's got to be in our heart to forgive and to move forward and let go. You can't change the past. You can only change your future. And if you keep a hold of those things, the past keeps grabbing you and pulling you backward. And God wants you to be free from that because he has something forward that is far greater than anything you've experienced backward. And he has this amazing thing, this amazing way, that if you will completely just give it to him, and you will ask forgiveness, and you will allow yourself to let that go. He has this amazing way of filling your heart with himself and allowing the love of God to salve and to nurture those wounds so that you can move forward. Here in just a moment, we're going to have fellowship time. During that fellowship time, we're going to practice Matthew 5. If there's someone that may be in this room that has offended you, that you're holding bitterness toward, or you just need to forgive, or you need to ask forgiveness, maybe you're the offender, and you need to ask forgiveness. This morning, we're going to allow you to do that during this fellowship time. To be able to whisper in their ear, please forgive me. To be able to talk to them and shake their hand and hug their neck and say, please forgive me. And you'll get freedom today. Some of you may need to get out your cell phone because the person that's offended you, the person that you're dealing with this bitterness issue, they don't, they're not here today. Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's somebody you work with. Maybe it's something else. And you need to either text, I forgive you, or you need to make sure that you put a note in your cell phone or on your bulletin or somewhere that says, I need to talk with them and ask them for forgiveness. For some of you, that might be what you need to do during this fellowship time. Whatever the case, to show love in doing so. You might be hearing you say, hey, pastor, I'm good. Well, then I would encourage you, enjoy time of fellowship with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And show the love of God that's found in Scripture. Be kind and compassionate to one another. And at the end of our, worship, our fellowship time, we're going to come back. We're going to pray. We're going to take communion together. And it's going to be an awesome time as we celebrate the Lord. But before we get to that point, we've got to make sure that everything's right on this point. For some of you during fellowship time, you're going to need to talk to somebody. And after fellowship time, here's what we're going to do. After you make that step, we're going to pray before we go to fellowship time. That's kind of odd. We don't usually do that. But we're going to pray before we go to fellowship time. 
And then we're going to pray after it too. Okay? So let's bow our heads. Would you stand? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now for spiritual boldness and courage. Right now the devil's trying to whisper in someone's ear, you don't need to do this. This is ridiculous. Don't pay attention to what he says. And in the process of them hearing that, all it does is, it, Lord, it just binds that root deeper and stronger. God, today I pray that roots of bitterness be dug up in Jesus' name. And God, may forgiveness and love and mercy and grace fill the hearts of people in this room today. We praise you and we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a few moments. Hug somebody's neck. Tell them you're glad to see them in the house of the Lord. If you've got some things you need to do, make sure you go do it. God bless you.